Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Uh, if you're new with us, I want to say welcome. I'm Jay. I'm the lead pastor and uh, so glad to have you here. Um, you know, we are, uh, if you missed maybe right at the, at the very beginning, uh, we're having some issues with the projectors uh, this morning. So that's why we're down to just the TV, but at least we've got just the TV and, uh, and we've got that. And you know what? I think, uh, I think sometimes uh, the enemy likes to think he can get into technology. He loves to do that. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful that we can maybe just, maybe God wants us to just stay a little bit more singularly focused today instead of the distractions of the things around this world, especially the things that are trending in this world which is something that we've been talking about over the last few weeks uh, because we all know the way that trends work in, uh, in this world and the way that we can get influenced by those things and also the way that, uh, that, you know, sometimes those are bad things, sometimes those are good things, sometimes they're neither here nor there. But, I mean, I think we can all be honest that, you know, over the last, uh, you know, 15, 20 years or so, the things that were uh, popular in terms of music and clothes and things like that uh, then Maybe not so much now. Uh, some of it holds up. Some of it doesn't. Um, some of it needs to never come back. Um, but has anyway. Um, but at the same time, you know, the trends that we have uh, in this world, we also have trends within the church. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit, or at least I'm going to allude to that in some ways. And, you know, the trends of this world and the ways that they influence us, even inside and outside of the church, we, we are influenced by the things in this world. And we are supposed to be looking to Jesus, not to uh, culture. We're supposed to be looking to the word of God, not to others or even to ourselves when it comes to where we find truth. Uh, and God instructs us to be sent into the world that we are not of, but sent into the world at the same time, we can accomplish that in a relevant way where we're engaging in community, where we're engaging in those around us. Um, and engaging in culture and still sharing the good news of the gospel without compromising our faith and without compromising the morals uh, that, that we have and, and the things that are very true in scripture. We looked last week in John chapter 17, how Jesus was praying and Jesus is praying for us. And, and he prays that we'll keep the faith and that we'll be kept from evil. And through the truth of God and the truth of his word, we can, we can do that. If we stay focused, but these are real struggles. These are real struggles that we all struggle with. Um, staying, staying grounded in the truth versus being swayed. It, it can be a slow fade as we all know, but God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And that purpose is grounded in the truth of his word. And it's grounded in the truth, not in the things of this world, not in the trends of this world. And so we need to prioritize the truth of his word above everything else. We need to prioritize that in our life to help us make sure that we don't get swayed and go down those paths that we shouldn't be. You know, in many ways, uh, you know, I think most of us, at, at least in, in the church, at least there's a, a bit of this attitude where it feels like, or at least we treat it this way, like we're playing defense all the time. You know, we feel like we're playing defense and, and the world around us seems to be falling apart and God's values are in the garbage. And uh, now more than ever, you know, especially in the realm of morality and God's way versus the world's way. And, and, and that's that's true in, in, in a lot of ways. But, you know, there's this undercurrent. There's this this feeling that in America, especially in conservative Christian circles, that what we're doing is sticking up for Jesus. 
that we are sticking up for Jesus. And I, and I think there's, there's a little bit of that, that attitude there. And I'm just going to be honest with you. This is going to be a little bit uncomfortable today. But, you know, we, we have this attitude of, you know, this country is sprinting toward hell. And, uh, and that we're right there side by side with Jesus protecting this country, good U.S. of A. And, uh, you know, if you ask people if they think that Jesus is on their side, I think most people, for the most part, would say yes. Which, of course, means that he's not on the other people's side, right? Um, we maybe don't say that, but that's kind of what we're alluding to. And so it's, it's shocking, uh, you know, when some people find out that, uh, you know, that there are people who actually believe that Jesus wasn't a Republican. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like finding out that Robin Hood was, was a communist or something like that. Like it's... Um, but no, I'm, I'm kidding, sort of. Um, so it, it really does kind of beg the question, though, as we, as we think about this, because our country is divided now more than ever. And I would say our world, in many ways, is divided now more than ever. Whose side is Jesus really on? Whose side is Jesus really on in all of this? Because there's a lot of uh, perspectives, a lot of opinions. Whose side is Jesus really on? What's the truth here? Because we are divided. In many ways. And as the church, we should actually be bringing unity. It makes me think of a scene from one of my favorite movies. No, not Star Wars. Um, Lord of the Rings. And in the, second, in, in the second movie called The Two Towers, there is a scene, and it's a short scene, and yes, I'm going to show it, and yes, it would be better on the big screens, but that's okay. Um, it's, only, it's, it's not real long, but um, if you've never seen it, praying for you. Um, but if, so if you've never seen it, there's a couple of the main characters are, um, get, get captured by this huge walking, talking tree. Okay. And he's got a beard. And so his name is tree beard conveniently enough. Um, and so he, uh, he's been fighting and, and been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And he's seen wars and he's seen cultures and he's seen politics change and he's seen perspectives change. And in the midst of what's happening right here, all he sees is that the forest that he's in charge of protecting is under attack and, and is, being, uh, is being taken over and, and being destroyed. And so that's really his, his perspective on this. And, and we as the viewer are looking at this and saying... Well, from our perspective, at least, the enemy is the one who is, who is doing this. And it's not that it's not true, but I want you to see the perspective of Treebeard here. Check this out. That, 
that's the end of the clip. It, it <laughs> um, so he says, I'm on, uh, I am on nobody's side because nobody is on my side. And so the, the, the characters here in the, in the middle of this war, and they ask Treebeard, whose side are you on? And that's his response. And so I want to ask the question, whose side is Jesus on? And I would propose to you that the answer is not too far away from Treebeard's perspective here. And that is this, no one's, at least not in the way in which we think about it. Because that's why we need to lean into the truth of the word and the truth of Jesus, not ours. Because I don't even think that's the right question. Yet it seems like we're asking that question. The truth of God's word, not the truth of Fox News. The truth of Jesus, not CNN. Jesus' perspective, not TikTok or Instagram stories or Snapchat stories or Ben Shapiro. We need the truth of God. We need the truth of God's word. And so let's make sure that we're not influenced by the trends of this world, but by the word of God. And let's not be afraid to ask questions so that we can be confident that we are following the truth. If you have your Bibles or the Bible app, you can turn to John chapter three, probably a a familiar chapter um, for most people. Uh, But I want to look at it from the perspective of this question that I'm posing today. And especially when it comes to the trends, uh, if you have the Bible app, you can find connect church in Akron, Ohio, and you can follow along with us there. Um, and you can even take notes within the app. So, um, in John chapter three, we find Jesus with, um, having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And I want you to see the way that Jesus reacts to him. And I want you to see the way in which he treats him when Nicodemus is asking some questions about truth. And we're going to break this down just a little bit here. Beginning right at the top of the chapter, verse one says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So this is no idiot. This is not just some random dude. This is somebody that knows, that knows a lot. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. He came to Jesus at night and he said, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So this is the first time anybody's heard the idea of being born again. And so Nicodemus is asking a very practical question that probably any of us would ask as well. But Nicodemus, he's an influencer. This guy was an influencer big time. He's a member of the ruling Sanhedrin. You, you notice Jesus actually refers to him as, as, uh, as, as a, here in, here in a minute, he, he calls him Israel's teacher. Um, so he's religious, he's smart. Yet he had to come at night to Jesus. He had to sneak away to Jesus to ask his questions. He was timid, he was afraid to ask his questions in front of the religious people or in front of people that might think poorly of him because he's asking questions that go against the way it's always been. You know, it was even taught widely amongst the Jews um, by, by the rabbis at that time that if you were Jewish, 
that you had your automatic ticket to heaven, that you were automatically going to heaven, even to the point because you are uh, distant relatives of Abraham. And so you, you're already in, right? Even to the point where some taught that Abraham was standing at the gates of hell to make sure that no one from uh, that no Jews accidentally wandered in. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I would get lost. I mean, it's hot over here. I don't think I'm going that way, but still that's, that's what they, that's what they taught some people. And so you see the questions he's asking and you see the way in which Jesus responded. It's, it's way different than how we respond. He didn't condemn. He didn't make him feel stupid. He listened and he responded in a very loving way. Let's skip down here to verse 10. It says, you're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. So Jesus referring to himself. See, he was kind, but he was to the point here. And he had the knowledge, the truth, and the authority of God to be able to say the tough things in love to Nicodemus. But he didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He, he was blunt with him, but he wasn't yelling at him. He wasn't demeaning him. He was just speaking the truth. And he kept speaking truths. And if you look through the New Testament and you look at the way that Jesus responded to people with questions or people that were doing things maybe differently from, from the norm, if you want to call it that, I want you to listen to these truths as I read some things that I wrote down about the way Jesus responded to others in the New Testament. Jesus broke the rules of the religiously uptight, but refused to bend to whatever the culture around him was doing. Jesus made conservatives and liberals and Roman officials all see that their system of doing things was a hollow shell of what God's best for the world was. Jesus made those who committed adultery feel loved, but those who'd lusted in their hearts realized their sin. Jesus told the rich that their money was both a danger to their souls and a gift given from God. He made a man stuck in a welfare system answer the question, do you really want to put the work in to getting well? But then he told those who ignored the welfare system, can you really ignore those who are suffering? Jesus told the radical protesters to chill out and he told the greedy corporate executives to give everything that they had away. He undercut systems of control that corrupt humans use to hold power and he dared to say those who lose their life for my sake will find it. He told everyone that they'd sinned too much to find God. And then he told everyone that God was readily available if they'd be willing to look for him. Jesus forced everyone to stare into their own hypocrisy and then offered for them the path to submissive humility. Jesus was uncomfortable to those who needed to be made uncomfortable, which at the time were the rich, the well-off, the lazy, those in power, and those with freedom. And he, if he was here in the room with us physically today, he would make us, all of us, feel uncomfortable too. And then he'd offer us a better way. He would offer us a better way. See, there's two reactions to Jesus that you see. 
There's radical acceptance offered to the desperate and radical discomfort to those who thought they weren't. We're all desperate for Jesus, whether we want to admit it or not. And then he makes a familiar statement, which is rarely included with the rest of the verses that put it in full context. In John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, it always comes back to belief and trust in the truth of Jesus. Always comes back to that. Salvation that Jesus brings, brings uh, hope, it brings rescue, it brings healing through the knowledge of the truth of God's word. And that's why he came into the world, because the trends of this world are going to guide us the other direction. They're going to guide us away from the truth, and we don't even realize it. And then he says this. He keeps going. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. I think we can all relate with that. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. See, we need to pursue the idea of living the truth. And we can't do that if we aren't even trying to discover what the truth is. Because we're so consumed by the trends of the world. You know, there's a a new trend uh, when it comes to the next generation and it comes to faith. It's called deconstructing faith. Deconstructing faith is this new trend with uh, with my generation and down big time, especially millennials and the generation underneath that. It's this kind of movement that they're calling deconstructing faith. And essentially, it's the idea of taking an in-depth view of your faith and asking the hard questions and in some ways attempting to debunk it or, or to prove it right. And this, this can feel very, um, very odd to some people. This can feel, um, very dangerous to some people. This idea deeply held doctrines getting reexamined. Many people end up rejecting their faith because they go through it. Um, but many people end up finding that it, it strengthens their faith. Listen, there is a generation, a new generation that is craving a non-judgmental space where they can ask the hard questions. And so let me ask a hard question back in return. Why don't they feel like they can do that in the church? Yikes. Because if they did, they would be. But there's a lot that don't. And that bugs me and it should bug you. See, a lot of times we can learn more from understanding the reason we ask God a question than we can from the answer to the question itself. Let me say that again. A lot of times we can learn a lot more from the reason we ask God a question than we can from the answer to the question itself. 
Some people call this a mid-faith crisis. But I believe we should actually be a community that welcomes questions. We don't condemn people with questions. We should encourage curiosity and not shoot it down. Because the question or idea isn't maybe something that we grew up hearing. But to understand the fact that there is a generation of, of, of people growing up that didn't grow up in church, that aren't growing up in church, that don't understand all of these things. And, and my generation and up, we assume that they do. And then when they ask questions, it creates, it creates this. Instead of maybe creating a, a unified conversation that should be happening in love. Something we were told maybe when we were younger might have been taken out of context. I can actually think of a few things growing up that I was told that knowing now after going through, you know, seminary and all of that, I know we're taken out of context a little bit. Maybe some things made sense in the culture then, but they don't now. And it it doesn't mean that, that one necessarily is right and another one is wrong, except when it comes to morality, when it comes to doctrine, it certainly does. So please don't hear that. That, you know, oh, Jay's taking a step back on the, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are some definite non-negotiables. But it's possible to be culturally relevant and remain doctrinally pure, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago. And that can strengthen your faith. I believe one of the big things that we can do in that regard is to invite the questions. Invite the questions, invite the tough conversations, invite the awkward moments. I'm okay with that. And why do I say that? Two big reasons. Number one, Jesus did. Jesus definitely did. He invited those big time. He stepped into them. He went and found them. He didn't necessarily even wait for them to come to him. But number two is that if we truly believe that the word of God is what what it says it is, that it is without error, it is the inspired word of God, then we should, that we should live by it, then we should be 100% confident that it will not come back void if we rightly divide it, if we rightly study it, and we share it. And I believe that it won't. It will not come back void. You can trust it 100%. It is a firm foundation. But at the same time, in, in some ways, it's just it's like a hungry lion. You just kind of open the cage and doesn't need a whole lot of help. Let it do its thing. If you read the end of John chapter six, which we're just going to look at one verse from there today. But if you read John chapter six, verses 25 through 70, there's a little bit of homework for you. It's quite a few verses, but John chapter six, 25 through 70, I would invite you to read that. Jesus is teaching through some very tough truths about what it really means to follow him. in that whole section, many people following him at the time. And, and they ask questions, but Jesus knows their intent. Some theologians think there was as many as 80 to hundred, 120 people following him at that time, considered disciples of him that are following him. It wasn't just the 12 all the, all the time. He had many other followers, many people following him, asking questions, but he doesn't pull any punches and he tells it like it is to him. He does it in love, but he made it all too clear to those that, that were following him, that he meant something different from maybe something they anticipated because they were interested in the material things, the trends and not the spiritual things, the truth. He made it very clear. They were really seeking the truth. They would react one way. And if not, they would react another. Were they just along for the ride to see 
the next miracle, the next big thing that Jesus of Nazareth was going to do being, you know, walking along so they could be part of the freak show. There were a lot of people that that was, that was really, really their intent deep down. And so he was willing to answer their questions and to say the hard things to them. He did it in a loving way, but he was very truthful and he answered their questions. He told them the truth and love. And then verse 66 in chapter six says this, and I bet you this is a verse you maybe haven't seen before. It says from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many. Because he was truthful about what it really meant to follow him. And so he was basically back down to a 12 or so at that point. Why? Because they were worried about whose side he was on. And they were worried about the next thing that he could do for them. And deep down, they weren't following Jesus. They were following what was trending. They were following what was trending. And that's why my connection point for the day is this. Make your faith your own. That may sound like a strange connection point from where we've gone to where we are right now. But I want this to be a challenge. I want this to not only be a challenge, but an encouragement to you. I grew up in church. And so I had to get to a point where I needed to make my faith my own. I know that there's a lot of us here like that, but there's a lot of us didn't grow up at church at all. Why do you believe what you believe? Have you really ever drilled down and asked the question? Some people really push back on this idea of deconstructing faith. And granted, I will say, depending on where somebody goes to find the answers for that, that can really be an awful thing if you're going to just YouTube and and you know Google maybe to find the answers to that and you're not going to a trusted place to where you know you're going to get truth and really have your questions answered in a right way. But at the same time, I don't think that's a bad thing for people to really dig into why they believe what they believe and to maybe do a little bit of deconstruction. I did. I 100% remember a time in my life when I did that. It's about 19 or 20. And I'm not going to get into it because it's, it's part of my story and many of you have heard that before, but I really did. I had to take a step back and go, what if all this is garbage? It's just all I've ever known. I had to ask some questions and luckily God put some people around me that loved me and guided me and showed me and listened. Let me ask my stupid questions. Let me ask my really good questions. Guided me in the truth of God's word. And had they not, I wouldn't be here right now. So why do you believe what you believe? Is it because you follow what's trending? because you follow the truth and make no mistake church as i said before we have trends within the church there are some things to follow what's trending that are trending within the church no doubt we can let those get us off just a little bit too we need to keep our focus on the word of god but have you asked any questions have you asked the right questions have you asked any questions at all or do you just take this all for face value If your answer is just because Jay said so, that's a horrible answer. It's an awful answer. (laughs) It's because you've been influenced by the things around you, by media, by TV, by music, social media, all those things. We got to, gosh, we got to keep ourselves in check, church. 
by the trends or the truth of God's word, because his word is a solid rock. It is a foundation that we know we can trust. I believe it. I've given my life to it. But it took me asking some questions. It took me getting to some moments of deconstructing my faith. And I am so glad that I did. Will you bow your head with me? And let me just ask you real quick. I, for you to really think about this. For you to really pray about this. If you feel challenged. Feel a little awkward. Good. Lean into it for a minute. Because this place, Connect Church, we need to be a place where you can ask your questions and hopefully not feel judged or made to feel stupid because you're asking them. At the same time, we need to lean into the truth of God's word so that we can answer questions the right way. We need to know God's word. Maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you're, you're realizing... And I'll just be blunt here for a second. Maybe you're realizing you've been stubborn. You've been one-sided and unwilling to love people where they are because they disagree with you. You know, that disagreement may not be as big of a gap as you might think it is. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we transition into this time of, of communion... Lord, as as your spirit continues to move through this room now. Father, as we sang a few minutes ago, break us, Lord. We want to be sweetly broken. Because we know we can build our life on the truth of your word. On the solid rock, on the cornerstone. Help us to lean into that more than we're leaning into the trends of this world protect us Lord break us down so you can put us back together in the way that only you can help us to be honest with ourselves as your spirit continues to move and Lord if there's one here that doesn't know you as savior if there's one watching online that's not put their trust in you Lord I pray today they might do that Holy Spirit I pray you would just continue to move now as we celebrate commemorate and remember what you did for us In Jesus' name, amen.